I was just saying to Dennis this morning um, that the very first time Sue and I came to this church was uh, 2009, and that day Dennis was preaching from this passage. Um, so I said, well, I no need to preach from it because they know it all. And he said, no, they will have forgotten. Um, it's lovely to see you all in this new year, and we're doing a little series over um, last week, this week, and next week called Into the New Year with Jesus. Um, and I'm speaking on the second part, and I'll be referring to the first part a little bit later in the message. But I want to start by telling you that on the 28th of May in 1940, the most decisive movement or moment, you could say, or action of the Second World War happened. It was the most decisive moment. That was a war that accounted for the loss of 75 to 80 million lives, mainly in Russia and China, I might add. And it was a war that attempted to exterminate at least one whole race of people. Winston Churchill had just been appointed the Prime Minister of Britain, and he was about to make the most important decision in modern history. The decision was whether Britain should oppose and fight Germany, that had already smashed most of Europe, or enter into some discussion or appeasement with Nazi Germany. That would save many lives. For three days, his seven-man war cabinet met almost continually to discuss this. And on that cabinet, there were two men in particular that wanted appeasement. In fact, they'd gone so far as to begin discussions with Mussolini through Adolf Hitler. At 5 p.m., he, he um, abandoned the war cabinet and he said, I need to go and speak to my cabinet, the government. And he went off and he spoke to 25 men in his cabinet. And here's an extract from his speech. I have thought carefully these past few days as to whether it was my duty to consider entering into negotiations with that man, Hitler. But it is idle to think that if we tried to make peace now, we should get better terms than if we fought it out. If we make peace, we should become a slave state, a British government which would be Hitler's puppet would be set up. And where should we be at the end of all that? Then he ended with this climax. I am convinced that every one of you would rise up and tear me down from my place as Prime Minister if I were to for one moment contemplate parley or surrender. If this Long Island story of ours is to last and to end, is to end at last, let it be only when each one of us lies choking in his own blood upon the ground. At the end of this speech, the cabinet was so moved 
that they cheered and shouted and some came and slapped him on the back. Churchill had ruthlessly dramatised and personalised the debate. It was not some emotional diplomatic piece of theatre. It was a choice between entering into appeasement with the evil regime of Nazi Germany and the freedom, and the freedom of the nation or to defend themselves, to defend the island from an evil oppressor. It would cost many lives. It was a, an eve of battle address, if you like. By the time the seven-man war cabinet met at seven o'clock, the decision was unanimously made. The debate was over and Churchill had the backing of his cabinet. Now the rest is history. Britain stood and fought, never to surrender. It's the belief and conviction of many historians who studied uh, the 20th century that Winston Churchill's brave and courageous stance saved the free world, the world in which we live. In fact, there's a man called Charles Krauthammer who wrote a book in 2013 called Things That Matter, and he makes a case that Winston Churchill should have been the man of the 20th century. This is what he says. Only Churchill carries that absolute required criterion, indispensability. Without Churchill, the world today would be unrecognisable. It would be dark, impoverished, tortured. Above all, victory required one man without whom the fight would have been lost at the beginning. It required Winston Churchill. Now, this is an illustration. I'm not glorifying in a man, Winston Churchill, or glorifying in war. I want to make that quite clear. But following the great blessing of being made prime minister, which is something Winston Churchill had always wanted to do, after that great blessing came a mighty battle. To be a Christian means to be in a war. Paul says, fight the good fight of the faith. By choosing Christ, one chooses to be in a war. And in wars, there are casualties. Churchill may have saved Britain and the free world at great cost, but in a much greater way, Jesus Christ made it possible for every man and every woman and child on this planet to be saved by the victories he fought and the ultimate victory he made when he died on the cross for the whole world, for the sins of the whole world. Straight after Jesus began his public ministry that we looked at last week, his baptism, where this tremendous blessing occurred. He heard the voice of the Father speaking out of heaven, saying, you're my beloved Son, in you I'm well pleased. And then he was filled with the Holy Spirit of God, the power, the peace, the joy of God. As soon as that had happened, he was led straight into the wilderness to fight. Verse 
verse 1 and 2. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. In fact, the scripture says he was tempted in every way. The three temptations that we read about are not the only temptations that Jesus experienced in the wilderness. Following that time in the wilderness, which we're going to unpack a little bit more in a minute, he then went to his hometown. Isn't this the carpenter's son, little Jesus? He spoke, and this is what happened. All those in the synagogue, when they heard the things that he spoke about, were filled with anger. They rose up and thrust him out of the city, and they led him to the brow of a hill, on which their city was built, that they might throw him off the cliff. Jesus was in a war against the devil, against even his own people. So as we move into the second talk, entering into the new year with Jesus, we're reminded that as with our Lord, a Christ follower means to be in a war. Nicky Gumbel of the Alpha Course uh, says this, The Christian life is one of blessings and battles, blessings and battles, blessings and battles. We are not called to be conscientious objectors. To be a Christian means to be in God's army, fighting against a triple alliance, an unholy alliance of the world, the flesh, and the devil. Have you ever wondered why, on a personal level, just think about this for a minute, why it's so difficult to pray? Have you ever wondered why sometimes we're so reluctant to give? Have you ever wondered why it's extremely difficult to fast as a spiritual discipline? Let's just not talk about that after Christmas, shall we? Why do we find it so hard to love and to forgive those who antagonize us and upset us? Why do we find it so hard? Why do we shrink from keeping our hearts wide open to God and to other Christian believers, brothers and sisters? Why are we not more willing to speak to others about Christ? Why are we so quick to judge others and to knock other people down? Why do we continue sometimes to be quite prideful, selfish, angry, jealous, and covetous? Oh, they've got a much nicer e-bike than me. Mm, I wouldn't mind that one. I think Jay John said, uh, coveting is about when you go to a restaurant and you order your dessert, and the other person at the table, their dessert comes, and you start looking at theirs rather than your own. (laughs) That's what coveting is. You want something that somebody else has got. You're not satisfied with what we've got. Why are we so easily defeated? And on a more public level, why do relationships break down between communities and people and politicians and nations? Even in the church. Why are there 32,000 Christian denominations in the world? We can't get along. Why is it so difficult to get along? Why is there so much oppression, injustice, and hatred in our world? Why is there so much war and violence? 
Why is it much easier to fly into space than to feed the hungry and to spring um, war to stops in Tigray and in Ethiopia? Why is it easier to fly to space than to do that? Why is it easier to do that than to flood the world with the resources people need to get in this pandemic in the third world? Why? Why are we destroying our planet? These are questions that maybe there are endless questions, but I want to make the point that we're in a battle, a personal battle and a public battle. So let's just go quickly back and look what confronted Jesus. And especially what we need to note today is how he overcame. Because we're given the same resources and we're called to do the same. Notice, after the blessing, he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tested. Have you ever thought that rather strange, that his very first experience of ministry was that his father would lead him into a battle? He was led by the Spirit to confront the enemy. You know, someone once said that before a product is sold to the public, like a car or a frying pan or a pen, or an e-bike, for example, the manufacturer will test it under trying conditions to see if it will live up to the guarantee. And here we have Jesus, fully human, filled with the Spirit, going into the wilderness, as it were, like a test run. Is this going to work? We should take heart by what happened. Because Jesus shows us that with the resources he had been given, he could overcome. These are the very same resources that we have available to us today. These are the resources that help us shape our lives to follow Christ. Jesus was tested in three areas we note in the scriptures here. He was tested in the area of the flesh, the world, and the devil. Firstly, the flesh. He was hungry. He hadn't eaten for considerable time whilst he was seeking God in the wilderness. And the devil came to him and said, Oh, Jesus, oh, you must be hungry. You need to look after yourself, really. I don't think your father really does love you. I don't think he's really looking after you. If you're God's son, surely you can do anything. Look, see these little rocks down here? They look like wholemeal chunks of bread. Why don't you change them into wholemeal bits of bread? Do it. You can do it. Now, the flesh is represented here by physical hunger. And it represents the fallen nature of our desires, our fallen desires. These are desires that are filled by instant gratification. We can fulfill that desire now. Now, it's not wrong to be hungry. It's one of the most basic desires that we have is for food. But God, Jesus had been led into the wilderness to seek God, to be tested. And the devil was really saying to him, look, if you eat the food, you'll be satisfied. You don't need God. 
you'll just be satisfied. And Paul makes a list in Galatians of other fleshly desires that we can instantly try to gratify which talk about the flesh. He says sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, which is witchcraft, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, divisions, hatred, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, etc. Now I'm sure as I mention that list, one or two of them might say, yeah, I'm just going to identify with that one. We have little dissensions at home when I cut down a plant that I shouldn't cut down. (laughs) I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. And Paul, the great apostle, was actually really honest, and this is what he said. He said, the good I want to do, I do not do, and the evil which I don't want to do, I do. The second one, so that was the flesh. The second one is the area of the world. You see, Satan takes Jesus up to the highest point of the temple in Jerusalem and declares that if Jesus were to jump off it, his father will save him by sending angels. This temptation that God will save him is a temptation to misuse power. And power is the great way of the world today. Satan tempts Jesus to put God to the test. In other words, to assert his power over God and do something rash in the hope that God will just save him rather than submitting to God's will. This is the temptation of the world. For it is the way of the world to seek power and assert ourselves over even God and to assert power over others. The way of the world is of human power. It's of human planning, it's human reason, it's human wisdom. That is the way of the world. The beginning of the wisdom is the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. It's the way that puts man first and assumes that human life and human perception is all that there is. Now I wanted to come back to the incident that I referred to at the beginning of my talk about Churchill. You see, Hitler's plan was a plan of the world. It was a plan to dominate with the philosophy of his master race. It was to run the world through a dictatorship. The day before Churchill announced that Britain would fight, King George VI called the nation to a national day of prayer following the realisation that there were about 380,000 British Expeditionary Force troops at Dunkirk waiting to either be defeated, annihilated by the Germans or to get off that beach somehow. They reckoned that they probably would have got about 20 to 30,000 people off if they were lucky. So there was this National Day of Prayer, and I was looking actually on the video last night on YouTube of some of the shots of the National Day of Prayer, and there's Winston Churchill and his wife walking into Westminster Abbey, and there were queues and queues and queues of people all over Britain going into churches, cathedrals, parish churches to pray, and they prayed. Now, following the National Day of Prayer, 
three extraordinary, miraculous events happened that Winston Churchill eventually called the miracle of Dunkirk. You know the story. First of all, Hitler overruled his generals unexplainably. The generals wanted to go for the throat, and he said, no, wait. The second thing that happened was that there was a violent storm over France and the Luftwaffe were grounded so they couldn't fly over the British troops and just shoot them and bomb them to death. And the third thing that happened was an enormous calm came over the channel and 800 little boats, flotilla of boats, went across the channel and rescued those troops off the beaches of Dunkirk. The nation had humbled themselves before God. They were in a fix. This, the temptation that the devil was bringing to Jesus was, ah, oh, throw caution to the wind. doesn't matter. Just throw yourself off the cliff. You'll be all right. God will save you. There's another way. And the question I want to ask us today is when we're confronted with a really difficult situation, or decision. It may be a chronic ill health decision. It may be a financial problem. It may be whatever it is, whatever we face. Will we try to solve it in our own power and our own strength? Or will we trust God and engage with him in prayer through it? And the third temptation, Jesus was tempted to worship the devil. Let me explain. We read that the devil showed Jesus all the kingdoms of the world in a moment. It must have been a vision, a dream, or whatever it was. I don't know how it happened. And he says, all these kingdoms I will give you. Look, he says, I'm in charge of these kingdoms. And in fact, Jesus refers a little later into the scriptures. He calls the devil the prince of this world. I've been given all these kingdoms. I'll give them to you if you just fall down and worship me. This is the temptation to be dissatisfied with God and to embark on a program of unscrupulous manipulation to achieve God's ends by the wrong means. That's what this temptation is. You see, the devil is the lord of misrule. He's the lord of chaos. He twists and distorts all good things. He soils and ruins everything that he touches. And yet, through his overwhelming pride... He would set himself up not as a creature, but as the creator. That's what the devil does. He wants to be God. And the main temptation he brings to human beings is to set ourselves up as gods as well. I don't need God in my life. I can do it all by myself, thank you very much. to live our lives without God, thus making ourselves gods. It is the person who says, I'm in charge of my own life. I'm in charge of my own body. I can put into it what I want. I'm in charge. I will make my own decisions in life. I'm in charge. That is the original temptation in the Garden of Eden. You can live a life without God. Now, I'm coming into land now, you'll be pleased to know. And I want to look at two things the scripture tells us that Jesus showed us how to live 
a Christian life of victory. It's the word of God and the spirit of God. Firstly, the word of God. Did you notice that in the wilderness, when all those three temptations came, Jesus spoke the word of God to the devil? It is written that. This is a huge challenge to us all as we begin a new year. How much time do we give to God's word, even to learning verses in the Bible? How well do we know God's word? How submitted to God's word are we? Is it something we argue with or something we submit to? You see, when God speaks, new things are created, new attitudes, new beliefs, new hopes, new faith. Jesus shows us that through testing times, God's word works. Because the devil fled. He left Jesus, it says, actually for a while. Now, I want to, if, I haven't, if you haven't heard me say this, I want to share something from my own experience. And um, I'm only illustrating this to show you how God's word works. In December 2018, after many, many months of meetings of our three churches, St. Andrews, Trinity, and Onorahi, it looks like we were heading to become the one Presbyterian church. Just not up and down, if you remember that time, that we were kind of all looking at becoming one Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And I have to be honest to say that I was opposed to the merger. I was opposed to it. But one morning, in fact, it was on the 30th of December, 2018, the Lord spoke to me out of the word which completely changed my attitude. Here's the scripture. Let us not grow weary in doing good, For in due season we shall reap a reward if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to the household of faith. That day, this is what I wrote in my prayer diary. I found it two days ago. O Lord God Almighty, the one Presbyterian church was not my desire at all. I had other plans that seemed to me to be more sensible more missional and more right. Now it looks as though it's going to go ahead. Please help me now to trust you because what you have said in your word. Please help me to be a lot more gracious. Help me to accept the outcomes and to be more Christ-like through it all. Help me to accept this with your grace. And I have to say that it's been a terrific journey. And I'm so grateful that the Lord brought Howard to us to help us to do this, because he's been fantastic. He really has been. But here's the point. God's word changed my selfish attitude. God's word gave me direction. Instead of having upset and not hatred, but I don't know what it is in my heart. God's word changed it. 
And we need God's word. Will you allow God's word to change your life and your attitudes? The second thing, notice, when Jesus went into the wilderness, he was filled with the Spirit. And he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Spirit. He also acknowledged that his ministry had been given to him by the Holy Spirit. From his baptism onwards, Christ's life was a complete demonstration of living the way God would have us all live in submission to God's word and in the power of the Spirit. To live and walk by the Spirit is completely unnatural to the human condition. Without Christ, we cannot walk in the Spirit because we don't have the Spirit. But when we come to Christ, the Spirit of God comes to live in us and our lives need to be more and more submitted to the Holy Spirit. Watchman Nee, who's a great Chinese uh, preacher, wrote a little book called The Normal Christian Life, and this is what he said. He said, just as a human being cannot live and work in water, but only in air, so spiritually, living in the Spirit means to trust the Holy Spirit to do in and through me what I cannot do. It's like living in water. I found that really helpful. You see, if we're hasty, if we're critical of others, if we're bad-tempered, we have impure thoughts, we find it difficult to forgive, we need to allow ourselves to be more and more surrendered to the Holy Spirit and let him produce the necessary fruit of godliness in our lives. Do you struggle with patience? It's a battle. It's a battle. Look, there's so much more that could be said, and I'm running out of time now. Um, and I want to ask you at the beginning of this new year, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Do you seek the filling of the Holy Spirit every day? Jesus, uh, Paul says, don't get drunk with wine that only leads to debauchery. Instead, Go on being filled with the Spirit. Go on being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit is not a one-off experience. It's a going on being filled with the Spirit. To be filled means to be baptized, to be drenched, to be immersed, to be drowned, to even be drunk in the Spirit. That's what it means. These are the weapons that we have to fight the war with the word of God and the spirit of God. Last week, um, I handed out to those people who were interested um, in a bit of a reflection, and we've got some copies here if you um, didn't receive one. But I talked about a prayer that Bishop Gowing of Auckland prayed and he encouraged his clergy and all his parishes to pray back in 1967. And the prayer was, 
Renew thy church, O Lord, beginning with me. And there's a little commentary on that prayer and some questions. And I'd like to close by praying that prayer and then adding to it some of the things that you may have heard today about us being renewed. So let's bow our heads in prayer. If you feel to turn your hands up to the Lord just quietly where you are, that's a sign of submission and wanting to receive. Um, it's a sign of, if you like, our worship. You just do that. Just turn your hands up to the Lord. Uh, Paul writes this, No temptation has overtaken you except such that is common to people. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. But with the temptation, he will make a way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Here's the prayer. Lord, renew your church. Begin with me. Lord, renew in us a great love and need for you and your word. Renew us by filling us afresh with your Holy Spirit, that our priorities would become your priorities, that our love for you and for one another would be paramount, that we would have a renewed heart for your mission to proclaim the good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, of recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. Renew us, O Lord, for the battle of faith. And I pray this with my brothers and sisters in Christ. In the name of Jesus, amen.